This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Telepathy is perhaps the best attested of all psychical phenomena. Valeria Tejas interviews Logan Yanoviak, the author of The Parapsychology Revolution, a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research. Logan Yanoviak is a financial service professional, author, angel investor, teacher, and healer. She focused on building businesses and guiding capital in ways that regenerate our social, environmental, and economic systems to advance a more holistic future for all. Embedded in this work is a passion for promoting tools that can bring people greater access to their own power and into greater self-alignment. Logan's work in financial services involves working with family offices to educate and connect them to investments in regenerative natural resources through her firm, Provenance Capital Group. She has also developed new financial models and tools, particularly focused on land conservation and restoration, and has written extensively about how to invest for people, planet, and profit. Logan also advises a variety of impact-oriented startups. Additionally, she offers a range of healings, meditation techniques, and other tools that have helped her tap into greater sources of energetic connection and understanding of her purpose. As a financial service professional, she feels that these have taken her beyond many other tools she's worked with in the past and helped her to become a more aligned leader and aware professional. Logan holds numerous certifications through the Modern Mystery School. She also holds a Master's of Forestry from the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, an MBA from the Yale School of Management, and a BA from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Meet Logan at loganyanoviak.com. Here is the interview with Logan Yanoviak. In your own words, who is Logan Yonoviak? I am a healer, teacher, author, financial services professional, and divine being and human being. What is the divine, Logan, to you? I think it's a field of ever-evolving consciousness that we're all embedded in and part of that never ends and that that we are all able to participate in in every moment. 
Some people believe in a destination like heaven or um, finally getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. Did you have these ideas before? I think that there's many places consciousness can go. Um, so I think that there are different dimensions of experience and that we can direct ourselves to different layers of consciousness while we're alive as we cross over into other forms of existence as our, our souls progress. But, you know, I think there's just infinite number of possibilities. How did you come to this understanding about life? Well, I think it's been an evolving process. When I was growing up, my father was very interested in in consciousness development, and he inspired me to think about telepathy and some of the other faculties that are kind of beyond what most people talk about. Right. And so I think as a kid, he would do things like have me guess how, like to the second, how fast I was going to run something and, yeah. or we would have experiences where I would respond to him, but he hadn't said anything, you know? So I think those were early experiences I had. And then definitely tuning into different energetic experiences over time. I meditated early on in, in my life and had some of those experiences, um, definitely feeling connected to other people sometimes more than others and, and feeling kind of entangled with them in at a distance. Um, so I think a lot of those personal experiences opened me up and then I got more interested in more formal ways that people were trying to tune in, aggregate and share bigger data sets around people having these experiences. My other warm-up question is about the purpose of the human experience. What do you think that is? I think the purpose of the human experience is to learn some particular lessons that come with being in a physical body and having, you know, in, in the Kabbalistic teachings existing in Malkuth. Um, like if we look at the path of the flaming sword that comes down from the supernals in the Kabbalistic teachings, the kind of final resting place in many ways is Malkuth, which is the dense, the physical. Um, this is in many ways the densest experience a creative being can have. And then we sort of start flowing back up to our divine sort of like expansive consciousness again. So I think we kind of go back and forth between all possibility and then dense reality. And it's all just to kind of keep learning and exploring and growing. Do we choose to what lessons we will take part or it just happens? I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. I think I've heard many versions of, yeah. you know, people think, but I, I don't have a strong opinion on how much we predestine our lessons. Right. Um, I certainly think we can be active participants in choosing our lessons while we're here, but how much we decide on that ahead of time, I don't really have a strong opinion around. My question to you is, what is spirituality and how is it different from religion? Well, I think we're all, like, as I said, divine creative beings. And so I think we're, you know, the, the spirit is sort of that expansive consciousness that exists all around us at all times and is we're part of that creative element. And then I think religion is human beings attempt at 
taking some of those lessons and, and putting them into doctrine and kind of rules and systems around around spirituality. Yeah. And so I think it's more like human governance systems and attempts at yeah, and I think it, it can it can go into you know positive directions. I think sometimes giving people structure is good, and then it can go into negative directions as well if it becomes too dogmatic. Do you ever use the word God? Um, I prefer not to. I think it's fine, and and I love the word, but I think there's many words for God, and also in the Kabbalistic teachings, there's a different word for God in each Sephiroth in the Tree of Life. So I think there's many, many faces of God. But in terms of like the broadest sense possible, I like to think of it as divine consciousness. Is there such a thing as being healed? I think ultimately we're having different experiences and, you know, in many ways, the experience of being in physical form, there's dynamic tension going on yeah. that shows up as experiences of suffering, but that kind of at a meta level, um, it's, it's sort of like us learning these, how to work with these dynamic forces and tensions and to come to a balance point. And so I think a lot of suffering comes from imbalance. We're all, again, divine creators and that our healing process is our own and, and also connected with the collective healing. So I think when we identify as a healer, it's more of a facilitator of others healing and our own healing. I would never say I heal someone. Um, I think they allow me to, you know, bring in tools to help them heal themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But that each person working on themselves also helps the collective heal as well. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free from your perspective? I think being free is the ability to flow your life and your experiences in alignment with what's of the highest and best good and with light. So I think that the freedom to choose in every moment to be in alignment is the ultimate freedom. That doesn't mean that there aren't constraints. Like, um, I think it's good to, you know, sometimes pull in examples, but You might choose if you want to be a really fit person to put yourself under a regimented training schedule so that you can really chisel yourself and become that version of yourself that you want to be. And so it doesn't mean that there aren't ways that you constrain your experience so that you can have particular outcomes. But I think when you get into the right state of consciousness or states of consciousness, there are literally you're sort of guided to what is the highest and best good in that moment. And so I think the freedom to allow humans to continue to evolve towards their divinity and understanding their own divinity and being creative um, decision makers and participants is the ultimate freedom. And my last warm-up question is, at this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? I think more people waking up to who they are as divine beings and choosing love and light rather than fear and darkness. How did you become a writer and what was the inspiration and also purpose of writing the book, The Parapsychology Revolution? I would say that this was one of my first major writing projects. I subsequently have written Um, dozens of articles and blogs and 
interviews and, and such for various media outlets, but this was very much one of my first uh, major projects and one of the only books I've co-authored or written. So the inspiration came, I met a professor named Dr. Robert Schock at Boston University back in 2003. And my mother had actually given me a book that was authored by Lynn McTaggart called The Field. Hmm. And in The Field, she, Lynn McTaggart's a journalist and she features a number of kind of pioneers in the consciousness space or consciousness research space. And one of them was Edgar Mitchell, for instance, um, who had an experience in space where he was looking down at planet Earth and had this feeling of oneness. Um, so I read this book and my mom that my mom gave me and ended up giving it to Dr. Robert Schock, who had, um, he had been doing really impressive and interesting research in working with ancient civilizations and using geology and, and anthropology insights to better understand these, these civilizations and what might have been ways that they might have been advanced that we don't currently understand. So, he had, you know, had this experience and he'd, he'd worked in Egypt with the Great Sphinx and his research helped on the weathering patterns of the Great Sphinx uncovered that. And he, he developed a theory that the Sphinx was built prior to the Great Pyramids in Giza. I had had conversations with him and was doing a directed study and brought him this book. And he, I don't remember if it was the same day, but he sort of went away and then came back and asked to have a meeting with me. And he just, basically was like, let's write a book on this. So that was the the genesis of the parapsychology revolution. So talk to me for a moment. Why did you choose to become a healer and also the kinds of healings you offer? You know, I have done all of the healings that I offer. So I, I feel that it's very important for people to have their own experiences with energy healing. And so there's nothing that I offer that I haven't done myself and had an experience with. Um, I feel that there's a lot of information out there um, on directions that humanity should go to build a better world. So we have, you know, tons of white papers and research papers on how to fix climate change and how to kind of how to solve poverty and, and, and a whole host of other things. But it doesn't seem to fundamentally shift people to orient towards wanting to achieve those goals at a mass level. And so my question even back for the parapsychology revolution was, can tools beyond our normal senses help facilitate a consciousness evolution on this planet so that we are in alignment with natural and social systems and really truly can bring out a better world? Some of these tools that I offer and that I've been trained to use through the Modern Mystery School primarily, I think are getting at the fundamental root cause and like helping shift dynamics at an energetic level that really help people realign with wanting to participate in a better world. And some of these tools, um, or one of these tools is meditation. Well, I would say um, the, the sort of trifecta that um, I like to talk about and that other teachers and healers in the school like to, to talk about it. I think prayer, ritual, and meditation. Um, what kinds of rituals? What's interesting about rituals is that they can have a long lineage 
which tends to kind of increase their vitality. Mm. Um, I don't totally understand the mechanism for this, but it does seem that a ritual that's been done over time has a stronger effect Mm. than something that you just make up on the fly. That being said, I think there's a lot of beautiful rituals that can be created individually to kind of, you know, connect with a, um, experience you're having or to, you know, do something around manifestation. Or I wouldn't say that rituals need to be rigid, but I do think some of the rituals that are as part of some of the work that I do are part of a long lineage. You mentioned in your bio that some of these tools that you have used yourself has helped you to tap into the greater sources of energetic connection and understand your purpose. So my question is, when it comes to purpose, how do we know when we are tapping into our purpose and know what what that is? Well, I think the signs are different for everyone, but I love Carl Jung's term serendipity. I think there's events with meaning um, that start to, if you're paying attention, once you're in alignment with your purpose, you start getting a lot more energy and a lot more resources flowing to you. It's like the lily pads start to appear that you can jump on to get to the next step. And I think when you're out of alignment with your purpose, things feel like you're walking through mud, you feel lower energy, you might have a lot of conflict arise with the people you're around, things like that. Another thing that you speak of, it's the the accessing our own power or the power within. So what is power to you? Do you have um, your own definition of power? Well, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, I think we're all as divine creative beings, there's an inherent, you know, as being part of the divine consciousness that we all exist in kind of like fish and water. I think we all have, you know, our sort of our birthright or our um, innate intelligence is, is there's an innate power that we can all tap into that's never ending. Um, and that's, you know, kind of sitting there latent. People talk about Kundalini experiences and things like that. I think yeah. there's ways to awaken that power. Um, like I think, it can stay dormant with people if they don't um, do work to unleash it. But I think it's, you know, there's this sort of untapped potential and then later hopefully tapped potential that we all that we all have access to. Another word that you use, two words together, um, self-alignment. So you call it even greater self-alignment. What mm-hmm. does it mean to be self-aligned? Yeah, I think that's when you're really experiencing that flow state and when you've got all the systems in your life working for you instead of working against you. So, I mean, I think about it in terms of like buckets of an ideal life, you know, your finances, yeah. your your friends and family, your spiritual life, your home environment, things like that. I mean, when all those systems are properly oiled and running, that's when you're in a most alignment with yourself. And when you know what you're going for, what your purpose is, that's when the universe can work with you to to help manifest those outcomes. So what is parapsychology? I never heard about this before. Many would say it's the formal scientific study around extrasensory perception and psychokinesis. And so it's kind of separate from psychical research, which is more informal 
and um, doesn't try to bring some of these phenomena into a laboratory setting to, to further understand them from a scientific perspective. So why were you interested in researching this field? It was primarily because I was, as a young person, very interested in environmental issues and helping to bring our relationship with nature back into a balanced state. And so I was an activist in college and as as a teenager and, and moving into college, I was really um, primarily interested in land conservation and issues around community development, things like that. And I wondered if telepathy, psychokinesis, some of these other um some of these other faculties that hum- humans have could be harnessed to help us become aware of what was going on and come together to form solutions in a more rapid way. Like I, I wanted to accelerate what I feel is an educational process and um, a coming together that you know could be enhanced by some of these tools. And that brings me to the question of skepticism. Why do you think most of us don't believe or don't even try to understand these extra psychological yeah, phenomenon? There's sort of a that many humans are living in states of fear. Understandably, in, in a lot of cases, we have mass poverty. We have all sorts of war and, and conflict issues that, you know, from the get go, a lot of people are born into that that state, uh, living in a, in a state of fear, poverty, maybe mental and physical challenges that they face with their families. And so I think fear causes constriction. And I think these phenomena are about expansion and about love and connection. And so if you don't have a lot of that input early on, I think it's difficult to connect the dots that you're not just living day to day and in a constrained way, having to kind of fight for your existence. So in some ways, I think it's, while it's inherent, I think they are faculties that exist with every human being. I think circumstances can temper them and make it difficult to tap into. I do think there are some people that are very gifted that kind of just naturally have the faculty sort of lit up for lack of a better word. Uh But I think it's like anything else. We have a range of, of skills in any one area as human beings. And I think most people are kind of in the middle and then we've got some extraordinary individuals and we have some people who don't experience anything at all or very little. So yeah, I think there's a lot of fear and it's sort of like learning a language too. I think if you're not exposed to it when you're, you're younger, you start your skeptical mind starts tuning and your critical mind starts turning on at like, you know, middle school, high school, age, and then it becomes more difficult to be open to some of the experiences. From the perspective of modern parapsychological research, there's been very little money put towards studying these phenomenon. Dr. Shock and I talk about this somewhat in the book or allude to it, but there's, you know, compared to traditional psychology, the amount of money that's gone into parapsychological research is just a drop of a pin, like there's almost no money that goes into this. So I think, you know, the lack of funding prevents more professionals from going and studying these phenomena in the lab. And so I think that holds the space back a lot as well. Have you had some ideas to be presented 
to some people or the government, I'm not sure who to go to. So these researches can be explored more in this country. Sure, yeah. My, my theory of change to some degree is related to um, the investor community. So I think there's a number of, of high net worth individuals and people who've had experiences and have money to kind of put towards this kind of research. I'm actually part of an an investor network that's interested in consciousness evolution. So in, interested in, in investing in technologies and services that advance human consciousness. So I think there's, you know, groups like that, that could help kind of continue the flow of money to this research. Yeah. In your book, you say towards the end, uh, telepathy is perhaps the best attested of all psychical phenomena. So talk to me about telepathy and intuition. Are they somehow connected? Well, I think that um, you can have intuition without telepathy, but I think they are connected. But that's a great question. I'd have to think a little bit more about how I would fully answer that. But I think intuition kind of arises from your subconscious and conscious mind seeing a lot of patterns and then kind of coming to a flash of insight about a particular situation or individual. And I think a lot of that information can come through your normal senses and a lot of it can come through other channels. So for example, I might have a conflict with a friend or, you know, have been like ruminating over something. And then suddenly I realize why we had a conflict. It sort of comes to me all at once. And then that person contacts me that day and has, and says, Hey, can we talk? And I think, in that way, you kind of had an intuition about the situation, but you also had a telepathic experience with the friend. Another question I have is about mediumship. That is something that has been explored and exposed to many societies. So I'm wondering if that made some people, gave them this the seed to dive deeper into these different kinds of abilities that we have. Would you say so? Well, I think the question of whether we persist after we, our physical bodies die. And what happens to us is a a question that is important to every person on this planet. And so I think when we lose a loved one, it can force some people into a questioning, maybe if they hadn't thought about it much before, I think. And then those who are mediums or, or channel are seen as like a bridge to potentially understanding what could happen after we die and how we could connect with, with those people we love. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting area. I think it's been challenging to bring that into a laboratory setting. I think this goes to a point I wanted to make in general that a lot of these phenomenon are personal in the sense that you have an emotional connection to a person or an object or an experience. And it's hard to formulate that when you're put into a laboratory setting and asked to do it over and over again. And so I think the same with mediumship, that there's been a lot of skepticism about the outcomes of those experiments or sittings because they have a variety of different outcomes. And it's hard to say whether it was telepathy, whether it was fraud, And it's hard to replicate the same 
outcomes over and over. What about out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences that could become a lab material for parapsychology? There's an excellent neuroscientist who wrote several books that I would highly recommend on out-of-body experiences. He does the best job of anyone I've ever seen in collecting these stories from people who have had out-of-body experiences, and it's called Proof of Heaven. Mm. Again, though, I think it's tough to bring those into a laboratory setting. I think the best we can do for now, at least from my understanding, is to collect experiences from people. It's called spontaneous psi, you know, um, SPSI, yeah. like similar to what Louisa Ryan did back in the 1930s and 40s. She collected dream experiences from all over the world into a catalog. And that sort of became its own database uh, that people could learn from. But to try to get everyone into a laboratory, have them go to sleep and try to test whether they had uh, a telepathic or clairvoyant experience while dreaming is, is pretty challenging. So after the research that you have done with Dr. Robert, what evidences have you found uncovered? Well, I think that the some of the most compelling evidence came from the work of J.B. and Louisa Ryan back in the early 20th century. They were at Duke University and they did dice throwing and card guessing experiments, thousands and thousands of trials and found that there was a statistically significant, you know, impact that people have on guessing cards and also on intending which dice will land. And then the pair laboratory at Princeton University ran for 30 years, I believe. And they did thousands and thousands of trials to look at using uh, random event generators to get people to choose either zero or ones to influence the machine to have the outcome of zero or ones more than it would just happen by chance. So I think those are kind of the best experimental evidence. There's also been a lot of great work done through IONS um, in Northern California and Petaluma, I believe. Dean Radin in, has done some amazing work with some of his studies. I think he's run numerous Gonsfeld experiments, which is a telepathy experiment. And there's also the work of Rupert Sheldrake with animals, which I think is really compelling because as we mentioned in the book, you know, animals have less of a tendency to, to lie. (laughs) And so, you know, he did an experiment looking at whether dogs knew when their owners were going to come home ahead of, ahead of time and found that there was a, a significant statistical influence there. So, you know, those are kind of some of just some of the highlights, but I'm sure there's other experiments happening that I'm not aware of because I it has been a long time since I looked at the data. Thank you so much, uh, Logan, for the exploration of these fields of study and the way you have also opened up yourself to explore your own consciousness. Thank you so much for having me. I do have a few more questions, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage from anything that you have written that can support the conversation? I would just like to say that it's really important to stay open and to keep searching and to set the intention to be in alignment. And I think from there, if you're really asking for help and for connection, 
if you pay attention, those the universe will start conspiring to help you. Three questions, ending questions. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? I think being successful is being in service uh, in alignment with your purpose. So I think with the, the intention of, of helping humanity evolve um, towards its highest good and taking care of yourself within that so that you can be and show up in the best way possible. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? I would probably spend less time at the computer mm -hmm. and be more in my body. I think yeah. just more physical experiences. Yeah. Yeah, that resonates. I often think <laughs> about that. <laughs> Why am I here? Well, I have a purpose. <laughs> But um, yes, yeah, being close to nature, right? Uh, in my case. Yeah, same here. Spend more time out, actually outdoors and, and being with nature and, and slowing down and really being more present and paying attention as much as I can. And the last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? That consciousness is infinite, that we are all in this together, and that it's really important to laugh at the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yes. That makes me laugh just by thinking about it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God, Logan. Yes. Thank you so much for your beautiful presence, authentic presence, <laughs> for everything that you do, the awareness you have of your own purpose and everything between. Thank you. Thank you so much. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Great. I have two websites. One is my consulting website, which is loganyanavyak.com, and then my healing website that where my, all of my healings and teachings are offered is self-alignment.org. Wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Logan Yanaviak and her work, please visit loganyanaviak.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>